Are beavers really worth a damn? These furry agents of change create and maintain essential wetlands. No one's going to argue that they improve their environment for the better, but I'm starting to think that they change the lives of the people who work with them as well. Let me show you what I mean. So I'm on the line now with Michael Pollack, who is an ecosystems analyst and a fishery scientist with NOAA in Washington. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so um, why don't you tell me a little bit about what your job is and then tell us how you got started in this work because you're so important, your research has been so important for people to think about the relationship between beavers and um, coho especially and now we're starting to think about beavers and steelhead, right? Yes, beavers and, and many things. Okay, so tell me what you do. Well, so I, I work for NOAA, mm-hmm. and I work on the recovery of endangered salmon habitat. Okay. Uh, so, so we there's a lot of salmon uh, uh, out in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, a lot of them are going down the tubes pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and so we are working to figure out why they are doing that. And, and the program, I, I, I mean, it's, it's called the Watershed Program, and it focuses on watershed problems, uh, things that are happening on the land mm-hmm. or in watersheds that are that are degrading salmon. And uh, in the course of my studies, a lot of that has, uh, given my background, has, has really led to understanding uh, what beaver do in that as, as an agent in terms of affecting salmon habitat. Mm-hmm. And and then looking at what's happening out there in, in the uh, in the world in terms of how people treat beaver and, and their understanding of beaver and, and why there aren't more beaver in the landscape than there are right now and, and how to get those back into the landscape. Wow. And how did you get started thinking about this? Because that's a pretty specialized idea. Well, yeah, I guess it is. You know, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, well, you know, it seems perfectly natural to me, of course. Mm-hmm. And and I think the if I think back, when did I get in, involved in this? It really had the the genesis back in, in when I was a graduate student, and I was kind of sent up to the wilds of Alaska by my major advisor, <laughs> and uh, just kind of thrown out there. And, and he said, "Look, there's some beaver. They're doing some interesting things." Go go figure out what they're doing and huh. and uh... April first. Temperature soaring to forty one degrees Fahrenheit. For the first time in three days I emerge from my sleeping bag and begin trying to do my job. <laughs> you know, kinda kinda put me on a boat, uh like this, this long six hour ride to this watershed or just this remote watershed and and to get dropped off with a, a, a stack of boxes and supplies and, and marched up to this little cabin and, and there were some beaver ponds nearby and, and a lot of beaver and a lot of fish and uh-huh. a lot of bears and 
and kind of had to sit there and, and spend the summer figuring out what, you know, what wow. the people were doing and, and, uh, and somehow convert that into a, uh, into a dissertation. So, uh-huh. Well, I ended up actually, uh, you know, originally, I, I, I mean, the idea of going to Alaska, I actually didn't really care what I studied as long as I could go there. It just sounded, sounded wonderful and kind of my dream to be up there and, and be in a remote cabin in the middle of nowhere for months on end and so I, I was up there and, and originally going, wanted, uh, thinking I was going to study bears, um, but you know, funding sources being what they are, they, they decided um, uh, the U.S. Forest Service and its infinite wisdom decided it would be better to look at, at beaver and beaver and, and fish. And, and um, so I, I went up there and I, I looked at, at the ponds and, I, and, you know, the first thing that struck me was how different they were than all of the other parts of the forest. Here's this dense forest of oh. coffers and Muskegs, and then you've got these beaver ponds, and they're just amazing variation in the in the um, hydrologic environment, and in terms of the species of the open, and and then you look into these ponds, and and you would just see these schools of fish roaming around, and yeah. it turned out they were coho salmon. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is as good a time as any for you to comment on the whether beaver dams can be passed by by salmon argument, which is oh, often encountered in the world. I um I, I guess it's like anything. There are some beaver dams that, at some periods in time, are not passable to fish uh-huh. to certain fishes. Um, but when you study it and when you look, for example, at whether fish move and can get up and over dams or, or whether fish do pass over dams or, or they don't, uh, it's pretty clear that fish can. Uh, we've seen steelhead do it. Uh, we monitor them pretty extensively in, in gory detail, and they, they pass dozens of dams at, at our study sites. Um, there's other studies that show, that, and, and, the, and the main reason is, is that fish tend to move uh, at high flows, and and they do that, and, and at high flows, it's easy to pass a beaver dam. Right. Um, smaller fish that might have trouble uh, during lower flows tend to work their way through the, the interstices and the little small rivulets that are in ponds and or in, that move through dams. Excuse me, and and so they're able to get through. Um, uh, yeah, there's certainly cases where there are, uh, I guess I'm thinking about salmon, um, where they, you see them nosed up against the dam and they're not jumping over it. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe they would if they could, um, but they don't. Um, but it's not, it's kind of the wrong question to ask, really, because if you think about it, the beaver and salmon, and, and the salmon, salmonid, salmon and trout, have coexisted together for, for millennia. Uh-huh. Um, and so some parts of the watershed may be cut off to them for some period of time or for, for some of the, the um, sizes of fish or species of fish for some period of time. But overall, they have created an environment, they being the beaver, that is, is generally beneficial to fish So, so and the salmon in particular. So we... But, you know, if we focus on every single dam and ask, is this passable or is it not passable, it misses, it misses the point that beaver really create a, a dynamic environment in the watershed and create ponds and create areas where where uh, fish can rear um, and, and, and really be protected from some of the high flows. And that just because every single dam isn't passable to fish doesn't mean that 
that overall effect of salmon, or uh, excuse me, beaver on salmon is, is detrimental. So right. you really have to look at a, at a broader perspective when, when asking that question. That is a great explanation. So, so yeah, pretty pretty amazing. But um, I mean, really, really pretty amazing. And I, I guess you know one of the other things that that really struck me about these guys early on was you go to these lodges, these ponds with lodges in them, and mm-hmm. you look at some of them, and they have these big gaping holes in the middle of the lodge. Huh. And they, and they, <laughs> how long did that? How did that get there? <laughs> and, and kind of talk to some of the folks uh, around and, and piece it together, and it turns out these big brown bears yeah. are, are are coming there in the winter when the, when the uh, ponds are all snowbound and frozen, and they mm-hmm. they can smell the beaver, and so they rip the tops of these things off and try to get at the beaver inside. So Wow. Yeah, yeah. So kind of amazing, and I guess I, you know, it was one of these things where I was like, "God, these are these are pretty tough little critters. These are thing, and they're, they're little rodents, and they they obviously have to have a plan B for their for their lodge because yeah. they're found, even though the uh, the the bears had come and, and destroyed their home, and so so I got a sense that they were actually kind of intelligent. Wow! Wow! Do you also said something about going to Mongolia to study their beaver, so... Yeah, well, you know, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> again, I, I love to travel, and so you start thinking, well, how can I how can I travel, and, and what's, how can I go... I, Mongolia, again, another wonderful <laughs> place that I'd always wanted to go to, and so kind of one of these things that just fell into my lap, that there was a conference... They're on restoring and managing the Salinga River. Huh. This is this a big giant river that flows through Mongolia and into Russia and ultimately into Lake Baikal. And um, I just kind of one of these random things that there have been some efforts in Mongolia to to reintroduce beaver into huh. these, these areas, and there's this Mongolian beaver kind of kind of. Not the kind of place you'd think there'd be a lot of beaver, but there there had been some reintroductions. And so, anyway, I, I got to go out. Uh, I was asked to go out and give a talk on on beaver and huh. um, what they do and their ecosystem benefits. Try to kind of gin up support among the Mongolians that so this was a good idea <laughs> and such, and um, and the Russians too. And the, the, yeah, the Russians. So we decided to go out and um, kind of take some time and look and see at some of these reintroduction sites where there were. But there were beaver put out there, and so yeah, Mongolia kind of you fly or driving a jeep, but most people take a jeep, and so I drove on this kind of epic jeep uh, journey throughout much of western Mongolia and looking for beaver in these in these sites where they've been dumped, um, you know, a few years back, uh, uh-huh. talk with locals and, and uh, see how they're doing, go assess it, and and you know, it's one of these things that yeah. Kind of a, a ultimately a fruitless search because they're just they just weren't around. There was no evidence of them. The locals had, hadn't seen any, and and we yeah. were just about just about to give up, and we were at the last place, <laughs> uh, last on the list of, of release sites. And we're talking to a guy, and we're describing it, you know, and, and again trying to describe this rodent that that you know if no one's ever heard of it or seen it, they they they, they don't really get it. But this big flat-tailed goat and fix teeth and swims around and builds dams and stuff and so so um they were describing this one guy and he's kind of thinking and he goes oh yeah he's, he's nodding his head and, and through the our translator he says yeah 
Yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, Torah got the last of them a, a few years back, um, and uh, it's a it's great fur. Um, can you guys get some more out? We really like them. They're wow. a lot better than the muskrat out here. <laughs> so, wow. <you> know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a challenge to reintroduction. Ah, uh, yes, uh, that is a challenge to reintroduction. Well, yeah. speaking of challenges, what what do you not like about your work? What's the hardest part of what you do? Um, well, <laughs> I, well, come on, like like any of us that that like to study the natural world and, and such, being in the office is really the the hard part. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I do work for the federal government, and there's an awful lot of red tape. Uh, yeah. There's just a lot of rules, a lot of a lot of things that are seem silly to to any reasonable person, but that somebody in the bureaucracy has decided some, right. some training course is a good idea, some safety course is a good idea, some I don't know sensitivity training. I just there's just a kind of endless <laughs> list of of mandates from the government because right. somebody in the government somewhere screwed up, so all, all of us have to have to pay for that one person. Right. <laughs> What do you think people don't understand about what you do? Mm. Well, it depends on who we're talking about. Um, I mean, a lot of people understand the role that beaver play in ecosystems, a surprising number, actually. And it's very encouraging that there are many people out there that get it, that, that understand that beaver can provide a lot of benefits, in particular to fishes, but but it's in other other species as well. And um, uh, waterfowl is one that comes to mind, but also in terms of some of the hydrology of, yeah. of uh, the streams, people are getting out. So so I think a lot of people do understand the effects of beaver, but some people um, they just simply don't get it, you know. And mm. and, and you could talk to them. For many many hours, and they just wouldn't get that uh, a rodent of all things could do something that would benefit a fish or or what have you. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that we often run into when people are anxious about beaver dams and their effect on fish is temperature. So, could you say something about that? About whether or not beaver ponds make the water warmer for fish? Well, that's an, that's another. Um, it depends, which is of course always the, the great answer of, um, for everything. But I will say that in uh, our study sites, in a, in a, it's a, a desert stream in eastern Oregon, my primary site, we have seen a decrease in temperature uh, within and below beaver dams, mm. and so pretty compelling evidence. Now, that doesn't mean that everywhere that's the case, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that beaver dams in the, under the right conditions push a lot of water into the ground, and mm-hmm. when it enters the ground, it cools, and then when it emerges downstream, it it uh, emerges into the stream, and it creates these cool water plumes. Right. So we saw in this area, in our site, for example, we saw uh, sort of a, a kilometer or so of, of pretty continuous beaver activity that's been going on for over the years, so they've really set up a, a pretty nice little ecosystem, huh. um, even though the dams are built and abandoned over the over the years and decades. But there's there's a lot there, 
um, they built up the floodplain. There's a lot of structure in the in the system, and so there's a lot of <clears throat> apparently hyperbaric exchange or, or exchange of surface water with groundwater. Mm-hmm. And and so what we saw in there was a, um, a stream that's uh, heading down downstream, obviously, and down elevation. And it's it's a desert, so as it's heading down elevation, it's tending to warm up, and it's on a, a trajectory to to warm. Uh, a warming trajectory, and so then it hits these these area real active beaver pond or beaver activity and, and, and uh, a lot of ponds, and it starts to drop and it mm-hmm. drops and it stays low about uh, three to four degrees C lower for a kilometer or so until the beaver activity ends, and then after that it starts jumping up again. The temperature jumps back up and climbs. So it clearly, in some cases, it it, it Actually, has a cooling effect because mm-hmm. of its ability to push uh, dams, ability to push water uh, the ground, and, and you see this also in other dams, by the way, not just beaver dams. Yeah. You'll see this effect. Now, if you're in a different situation in a bedrock channel, well, there's no chance for a little groundwater to, or the surface water to get into the ground. You're not going to have a cooling effect. Right. Um, there's other um, areas where you might have it warming as well, um, but the, the the issue of it depends is is, is very valid, um, but the, the, the another uh, consideration though is is that whether it warms the water or not, you have to ask how much is it warming the water, right. and and then is that really having a, a negative effect on the fish? Right. Um, so so the fact that. For example, beaver ponds can be very productive. Uh, a fish uh, may be experiencing warmer temperatures, but if there's a lot of food, then it can eat and, and actually move around and obtain that food easier in warmer temperatures. Right. And so overall, it will grow more. Uh-huh. So, so you really have to look at the temperature yeah. in relation to how much food is available. Huh. Uh, it's, a, right. it's a complex system, and, and there's other factors like cover and, and and then whether or not the temperature uh, approaches a lethal limit or or a growth optimum and it's all it's all very relative to what the needs of a particular fish might be right so, so it's pretty pretty um I, I guess I've read some of the the articles uh, uh, articles that have implied that it's bad for the ecosystem because uh, there, there have been observations of beaver dams warming water, but um, that's a bit of a naive uh, uh, conclusion because it really depends on what fish you're talking about. And right, right. Well, that, that's really um, that's really to helpful to think about that that way. Um, you know, I want to shift gears. I want to ask you about the first time you saw a beaver. Do you remember that experience? And do you remember if anything surprised you or what you didn't expect? Hmm. Well, I think I think the first really. Um, I mean, there's a couple memorable times, but uh, uh, so I'll, I'll just share with you a couple. But um, both in Alaska, and that was really where I, I really started to get into into beaver. And, and uh, one of these was I I was um, looking at this site and. It was a it was a low water year, and so it was a little dry. And so I was climbing around, and just looking at the at the lodge, and, <laughs> and we were we were measuring, you know, we were, I don't know what kind of measurements at the time, but but we were we were there, and um, 
and I climbed on the lodge, so I was kind of fascinated about it, and I wasn't really thinking about it, and I thought, so I'm being watched, and I kind of looked around, and I looked, and I sort of turned up out in the water, kind of huddled up by a bank. Not they weren't in the lodge. They, the lodge was kind of because of the little water had been, I, I guess, uh, abandoned for that time. There were just two little faces looking at me, <laughs> and uh, kind of from the edge of the bank. And I looked at them, and they looked at me, and then we stared at each other for a while, and then, <laughs> and then they um, they swam out. They swam out, and they kind of swam around, and. They swam around the lodge, and they kind of looked, and, and you can see the bodies and the tail and everything. And, um, yeah, they just kind of, you just kind of checking me out, and I was checking them out. And, and I guess I was really struck by how how curious they, they were and how uh, unafraid they were. They were in their element, and they, yeah. they, they knew that I wasn't uh, going to be able to do much. And so so it, it was kind of fun to see. That's really nice. That's really nice. Um, what would you say, what kind of advice would you give to anyone else who wants to think about do, furthering the work that you're doing, like taking it to the next step? What what, are they, what kind of training do they need? What degrees should they be pursuing? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, I think really, if you start to study beaver, you'll find them to be quite fascinating creatures. And there's so many aspects. Um, what they do to the ecosystem is amazing. Their, their behavior is interesting. Um, I, I think what excites a lot of people, though, is this, this really uh, obvious and apparent physical change that they have on the landscape. So, so really, you could... You, you know, you could almost go. You could go in so many directions. You could, for example, hydrology. Uh-huh. What are the hydrologic effects of beaver dams? Mm-hmm. So, what well, I'd be a degree in hydrology. What are the what are the uh, effects of, of beaver on on plant uh, composition? Yeah. Study plant biology. So, you, you can go on. What is it on waterfowl? Well, study study birds. But what uh-huh. about bats? I mean, there's so so many different things. Um, what, you know, for geomorphology. I think I think generally though, uh, a, a great degree. I, I, I just love rivers. That's uh, uh, always something that I I just loved. And, and studying fluvial geomorphology, which <laughs> I don't know what it is. You can look it up. But really studying the the um, how how um, Rivers shape the earth. How they how they move sediment to positive, it, um, and, and essentially how water uh, creates and, and destroys landforms um, yeah. generally associated with rivers. That is just fascinating uh, field. And when you look at it from that perspective, and then look at how beaver um, modify sort of the natural physical processes that occur in their absence of sediment transport and the movement of water. And then you throw beaver into the mix and beaver dams, and all of a sudden you really change the dynamics of a, of a stream ecosystem. So that's a, that's a very helpful perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Michael, I um, am just so happy to be able to have talked to you, and I'm thrilled that we got to meet in person. And I have every time I read your work, I am... Um, more confident that uh, that it really makes a difference in the way people think about beavers, and so I've I've been inspired by pretty much everything you've done. So thanks for talking to us. I really appreciate it. <laughs>